dealing with historical figures. He is not like any prophet. He is not like any religious leader. So then take comparisons off the table because they're woefully inadequate and they do not exist when you talk about Jesus. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. As Crawford just said, Jesus cannot be compared to anyone else. He is far above others in his character and perfection. We'll look at that today in Crawford's message, Our Incomparable Christ. It's one of many messages in Crawford's series, His Church. Well, if you're new to us, the messages featured on Living a Legacy come from Crawford's years as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. Crawford recently retired from the church and now heads Beyond Our Generation, a Christian leadership mentoring ministry. He's the author of such books as Leadership as an Identity, Lessons from a Life Coach, and For a Time We Cannot See. Crawford and his wife Karen have co-authored Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow and Developing Character in Your Child. These weekly messages can be downloaded to your smartphone, and at the end of today's program, I'll have details. Well, let's get right to today's teaching. Our text is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Colossians 1, 15 through 23. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. Uh, Colossians and Ephesians are twin books. They're complementary books. The book of Ephesians speaks of uh, the, the church, the body of Christ. And the emphasis is on the body of Christ. Colossians speaks of the church, but it emphasizes Christ, the head of his body. Christ, the head of his church. Now, I began by saying that this is a little bit unusual book from the Apostle Paul's point of view, in a sense that this is the only church that he writes to in the New Testament where he had not met these people and he had not ever been to Colossae. He never met them. Paul is in jail when he writes this book. He's in prison. And so what happens is, is that his friend Epaphras comes to visit him in jail. And while he visits him, Epaphras starts sharing with him about this church that he started in Colossae. Paul is so overwhelmed and taken aback by the wonderful things that God has done. In fact, a little clue there in verse 4 of chapter 1, it talks about hearing of their faith and their love in Christ Jesus, and Paul begins to pray for them, and you get the sense as he's praying for them, his love for them just deepens, and he's overwhelmed by this, this incredible group of people. God places them on his heart, so and so that he writes them this letter. And he begins in a letter at a very interesting place. He underscores before he talks about anything else, he writes out his prayer for them and what he's, what he's praying about. And that prayer is found in verses 9 through 14. But it's interesting what he doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray for that they'll be well-known in Asia Minor, that they'll be flush with cash, and that there'll be multiple sites for the church and people showing up all over. He doesn't pray for any of that. There's only one prayer request in those verses, and boy, is it a biggie. He prays that they might be filled with a knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And then, for the rest of those verses, verses, nine, uh, verses 10 through 14, he delineates and points out the results 
the transformative results of a life that is submitted to the will of God. And he begins with what matters most. Now he backs up a little bit. Verses 15 through 23, he talks about our incomparable Christ. Now, I want to say something to you right here because this message is going to be a a little different than what we typically, how I typically preach. Most of us preachers here, uh, you know, most preachers do this, and I think this is a right thing to do and encourage the guys on our team that that speak and preach. And when I teach preaching at these seminaries and this kind of thing, I encourage them to do that, that you need to give people handles and takeaways and ways to apply what was said. I think that is good. However, there are some sections of Scripture not written for us to have practical handles. In fact, it would almost be profane to make it too applicational. Some passages of Scripture, they're written to affect our thinking and our affections. To get us thinking and feeling something is meant to make us sing and soar. It's kind of like how you feel when you at a great symphony and at the end of the symphony there's this incredible crescendo and climax and it was given to make you feel something. And that's what this text is all about. Now, have you ever met someone that, that's very difficult to categorize? Now, I don't mean that in a weird way, but have you, have you, ever, have you ever met people that's just, they're kind of like delightfully other? You know, I, I, I've got a son like that. I don't mean it's a name. Our, our youngest son, Brendan, is very much like that. Uh, I kind of like in my personality, I'm a little bit like that. And I don't, you know, I don't fit a lot of boxes. And he's like that. And for for example, um, Brendan, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's very loving. He's very merciful. He has that in his DNA. And, uh, and yet, and yet, and yet, there's a side to him where he, he can be very bottom line and he can speak the truth and he can make a tough decision. Well, normally those things don't go together, but he has that in him. Uh, the, you know, I, I can go on. Uh, you know, I, I've known of leaders of Christian organizations where, you know, their background and education and stuff, they were uh, engineers in undergrad school and all of that stuff, and yet they're leading these organizations where it's driven by vision, and you say, well, you ought to be high control and process-oriented and not necessarily, but they've got stuff that you just can't figure out. Well, this is, the, this is in the back of Paul's mind as he delineates these characteristics of our Savior, our incomparable Savior. In fact, I think, although he doesn't say it, but you get this feeling as he he celebrates the attributes of our Savior, he's saying to us, stop trying to figure Jesus out. Stop stop, stop trying to categorize him. You know, Jesus, in a sense, is like us, 
But at the same time, he is nothing like us. He is not just better than us. He is superior than us. Although superior does not even begin to describe because superior is, is an inadequate expression. Because superior can mean at the top of the same kind. You're just at the top of the same kind. Jesus is not at the top of the same kind. He's not just superior, he is supreme. Not superior, there's a difference between superior and supreme. Superior is at the top of the same kind. Supreme has much to do with the, not only highest in rank, but it has to do with authority. You can't get beyond him. There's nothing above him. There's no one beside him. And so when you read Colossians 1, 15 through 23, that's what has to be in your mind. Don't compare him with historical figures. He is not like any prophet. He is not like any religious leader. You don't have a category, neither do I. To even begin to articulate who he's like. So take comparisons off the table because they're woefully inadequate and they do not exist when you talk about Jesus. Now, we have done you a disservice because I think sometimes we've overemphasized uh, how Jesus comes to us and how he identifies with us and he does all of that. But I think whenever we do that, we also have to understand that we don't create him in our image. Yes, he comes to us, but the fact that he comes to us, there must be wonder and astonishment in our soul that who this man is that's described in Colossians 1, 15 through 23 would dare come to us. It's remarkable. And so, Paul is celebrating the supremacy of Christ. And again, I don't think it's his purpose in this section for us to have pedantic takeaways. But for him, he wants us to have our thinking elevated and our affections deepened who he is. So let me just say this. He's outlining seven unique characteristics of Christ. And I need you to take a hold of this. I know this is obvious. But no one else has or will ever exhibit these characteristics. So as we walk into this, you, you, you have to understand no one has ever or ever will exhibit these characteristics. So you take the comparisons out of your head. What we're talking about is totally other. I, I teach a little bit of homiletics and preaching at some of these seminaries and what have you, and I, I, uh, I always tell our, my students, this now, now, you know, when you preach, you gotta be careful. You never have too many points. In fact, probably your limit should be four. Any more than that, then you, you, you're just kind of like inflating your ego, because then people ain't gonna remember all that stuff. So, I don't have four, I've got seven a day. <laughs> so, I give myself a D minus. 
But the reason I, I looked at the text, and I just can't leave any of this out. And so I'm going to approach a passage. Now, the other thing that I want to say to you is that I'm not going to get overly cute with the text. I'm not going to group them in communicative packages. I just feel like the wonder of this passage is too pure and too clean with what Paul is trying to say that I dare not over-massage it with hyper-organization. This, this is one of these high-watermark texts of Scripture. So Paul goes through these seven incredible, unique characteristics of our incomparable Savior. The first one is found in verse 15. Paul begins by saying that he, meaning Christ, is the image of God. Jesus Christ is the image of God. The word image here, uh, we, get, we get the English transliteration, the, the Greek word is icon. We get the English transliteration, icon from that. The Greek word means something more significant and different than how we use icon. You have an icon on your phone, you touch the icon there and it opens up and you, you go into this and it represents programming that is behind that. That's the icon. Oh, we say that someone is iconic. We're not saying that they're not human. We're just saying that they represent whatever that genre or field is. They represent the apex of all of that. And if you want to know about it, he's the icon or she's the icon of that. But this Greek word means the very substance and embodiment of something in someone. That's what the word means. Now, we've hijacked it and used it the way we want to use it, but originally the word literally meant the substance and embodiment of something or someone. The word used here, translated image, also implies these two things. It implies representation. Now, 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 if you just stop there, Jesus would fall far short because then we would define deity as being representative of God, which is woefully inadequate. An ambassador is a representative of the United States of America. The ambassador, uh, the, the president has representatives. And they, he can delegate authority and they can act on his behalf. But that breaks down. Although they have delegated authority and they can act on his behalf, they, do, they are not substantively him. But when the Greek word icon is used here, it doesn't just mean representation. It also means, get it, it's always used this way, get it, it means manifestation. So when Paul says he is the the image of the invisible God, it doesn't mean that he just represents God. It means that he manifests himself. John said it, didn't he, in 1 John chapter 1, and the things that we've heard and the things that we've seen and handled of the word of life. He's summarizing what was said in John chapter 1, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Jesus would say it more pointedly and specifically in John chapter 14 when he's having this conversation with Philip. And Philip is wondering about, well, well what, what, can you show us the way? And Jesus said, no, the, I, I, the way is not a road map. The way is an individual. In fact, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Then Philip said, well, show us the Father. 
And Jesus said, let, let me get clear about this. Yo, dude, verse 9, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's not metaphoric. That is not euphemistic. That's reality. So when Paul says in Colossians 1 that he is the image of the invisible God, what he is saying here is that, yeah, there's representation, but there's manifestation. He's here. He's here with us. So Christ's supremacy is declared in his very nature. No one has ever been that, and no one will ever be that. The second characteristic is, is that he's described the last clause of verse 15 as the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn of all creation. Firstborn. Now, this has caused scholars a little bit of a heartburn here because what does this mean that he's firstborn? That is, that, does that mean that, that uh, uh, he is the first product of creation? Now, admittedly, in English grammar, we would read it that way. Does it mean that he's the first product of, of creation? Well, I don't, I don't mean to get so granular here, but this is very important. If that were the case, then there would be another specific Greek word that, that would be used. Uh, and that Greek word would be protoktesis. Protoktesis, meaning he is the product of creation, the first product of creation. However, that's not the word to choose. Hang in there with me. I hope I can connect the dots. The Greek word that is used here is prototakas, prototakas. The omicron sigma, or, Z, or OS at the end, means, I hear me, I promise you that this is important, means that it's in the nominative case, meaning he is the source of all creation. So what, 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 what he's referring here is that Christ actually preceded the whole of creation, and Christ is sovereign over all of creation. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, it, it, it's kind of like, like the person who is the founder of a business or an organization. Truett Cathy is the founder of Chick-fil-A. He's not the first employee of Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A was his vision. And he translated that vision to reality. He was the source of the corporation. What the corporation is today goes back to the founder. Bill Bright was a founder of Crew, a campus crusade for Christ. He wasn't the first employee. Everything else extends from that. And so when, when Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, he is talking about all creation extends from him. And that's not metaphor. No one has ever been that, and no one else will ever be that. He's our incomparable, incomparable king. Uh, this statement, firstborn of all creation, summation refers to the dignity and superiority that belongs to the source of the creation, which is Jesus himself. Third characteristic. Now, this extends, Paul sets this up, this extends from number two. 
Jesus is described as the creator of the universe. Not only is he the source of creation, he specifically is the creator of the universe. Let me just read these verses, verse 16. And notice the prepositional phrases. He says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. I think the key of all, uh, to all of this is found in these prepositional phrases. And there are three dominant prepositional phrases. And let me just walk through them. Number one, he says, by him. That means that Christ is the instrument of creation. By him. He's the instrument. Who created? Jesus Christ. Second prepositional phrase is for him. For him means that Christ is the final cause or focus of creation. Not only, not only did, 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 is it by him that he was the source, but all creation is for him. That's the way it was at the very beginning. The Grand Tetons, they exist to worship Jesus Christ. The Rocky Mountains, they exist to worship Jesus Christ. Table Mountain in South Africa where the Indian Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean come together, breathtaking sight exists to worship Jesus Christ. That's the reason why Paul would say that on that great day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. What are you talking about? On that great day, all of creation will remember why they exist, for the worship of Jesus. And all of creation is for him. And then this last expression, he says, in him, this dominant prepositional phrase, in him, all things hold together. Crawford Loritz here on Living a Legacy, Our Incomparable Christ, the title of today's message. Crawford will finish this message next week. We're in a series called His Church, and we're getting great insights from the Apostle Paul on how we as the church should relate to our Heavenly Father and to each other. Thanks so much for getting in touch. Here's a recent email from Morgan who writes, What a blessing Crawford's sermons have been to me. The Lord got a hold of me a few months ago, and since then, His Spirit has led me in ways I've never experienced before. I love listening to Dr. Loritz. At times, it feels like the Lord is speaking to me directly from Crawford's teaching from the Word. Thank you. Keep up your amazing kingdom work. And here's one from Joe. Wanted to send over a quick thank you for this series. God seemed to have brought it to me at just the right time, as he always does. Crawford's teaching has been so clear and easy to apply. I love how he stays true to the context of the scriptures. Thank you all for this broadcast, and I look forward to it every week. Well, Joe and Morgan, we're so grateful for your emails. They help us know how God is using the broadcast each week. And just a reminder, when you connect with us, you help ensure that this broadcast continues to be heard each week right here. Our email address, legacy at moody.edu, legacy at moody.edu. To hear today's message again, go to our website, livingalegacy.org. And while you're there, look for the MP3 link, which will take you to numerous messages by Crawford, including the ones in this current series. And they're all available to download for free. Start with livingalegacy.org. 
Well, for Dr. Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis, and we'll look forward to being with you again next week. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.